Welcome to Ridgecrest Baptist. We thank you for listening. Now, here is this week's message. With us, we are in a study of the book of Judges, walking through the stories under the sermon series called One True Savior. One True Savior, and it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And um, it's, a, it's a masterpiece that was inspired by the Holy Spirit and is divinely written. And so what a beautiful story tonight that we see again in the life of Samson. And the title of this sermon is The Greatest Loss. And I want us to uh, begin in just a moment with chapter 15 and verse 20. And we're just going to unfold the story together of chapter 16 in this episode in the life of Samson. This text is about life-changing truths. And that's what the Bible is really about. When we talk about truth in the Bible, it's objective, objective truth. It's not subject to man's opinion or subject to change. That would make it subjective. The Bible is objective truth. When the Bible speaks, God speaks to us. When we read the Scriptures, we're hearing the voice of God and we're receiving unchanging and objective, objective truths. And the success or failure of your life depends on whether or not you decide you're going to make a conscious decision to be determined in life by the Scriptures themselves and whether or not you decide that you're going to trust and obey the Word of God and the, the Scriptures. And just like that old song, trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that really is the voice of God that is delivered in the Scriptures themselves to us. Samson was a man who knew that he had a calling on his life, and he decided that he would not trust and obey the voice of God, that he was going to trust in other things in order to find happiness in life. And he was a man, kind of keeping our theme going from this morning, who was, his heart was an idol factory. He knew that he was set apart from birth to be a Nazarite. He had a vow in his life that was given to his parents from the angel of God, who is the pre-incarnate Christ, speaking. The Christ spoke to them as the Word of God and said that he's to be a Nazarite from birth, set apart for a particular calling, for a particular reason, strengthened and empowered with the supernatural power of God dwelling on his life. And that Nazarite vow was specific to three things. He was not supposed to ever cut his hair. He was not supposed to drink from the grapevine, and he was not supposed to touch anything that was dead. But here's what you really need to understand. It was not obedience to those particular things that was the source of strength. It was his faith in God, and their, and their faith in God, the real power was in trusting God. Those things demonstrated that they had trust and obedience in the Word of God. Your life is no different than Samson's life. You, too, have been called in, for a specific reason in life. You've been set apart by God. All of us have. And you can say yes or no to that call on your life. And so we are very much like Samson in this story. And again, that you are set apart. And as a believer in Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. Once you come to faith in Christ, and it's a true born-again experience, you don't ever lose your salvation, but you can lose the blessing of God's call on your life. And you can discourage others around you by the lifestyle you live and cause them to be uh, pushed away from the call on their life. And now in, the, in, in this past that we've looked at in this story, just to kind of bring us up back up to speed and remember where we were at in this story, Samson's already had this experience in life where he was 
called by God and, and had the Holy Spirit on his life. So he's a believer. But he decided, if you remember, to go down to Timnah. And Timnah was not a place that believers needed to be hanging out. And what Timnah was was an evil city in the Philistine territory. And when he went down there, not to our surprise, he saw a beautiful woman. And he was struck by her beauty, and he went back to his father and said, I want, I want you, I demand that you go get this woman for me. And so he said, and his parents said, she's not a believer. And they said, and, and Samson said, I, I demand that you get her and arrange a marriage for me. And so in rebellion against the Mosaic law, he goes down into this city of Timnah, and there to be wed to this woman, they have a seven-day ceremony during the, the actual wedding ceremony, even before he's married to her. They're together for seven days, and they're drinking and partying, and he's violating this um, vow that he's made, the Nazarite vow, and in that he gets caught up in this riddle that he shares. When we talked about last time with these 30 so-called groomsmen friends of his that are Philistines, and he challenges them to understand the riddle of the the lion that he killed. And if you remember, he had killed a lion in a vineyard on the way down to Timnah. And he went back and looked at it at a later time, and it had a community of bees in it. So he made this famous riddle where he challenges them and says, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. And they had that seven-day period to try to figure out what the answer to that was. And as they realized they were stumped and they got embarrassed and mad, the, the Philistine men threatened her, the, the bride's family and her wife, and they basically got it out of her to get the answer for the riddle. And what Samson found that was that this wife was not faithful to him, and she winded out of him. And so he ends up leaving the wedding and not even marrying her. But in the process of the future interactions with the family, there's this series of exchanges where violence breeds more violence, and he ends up tying 300 foxes together. We talked about how it was an amazing story where they go through the wheat fields and burn the, the foxes burn the wheat fields down. And Samson now kills with a jawbone of a donkey a thousand men, and he basically sings a little ditty, a little rap, takes the jawbone, which he wasn't supposed to touch because it was from a dead animal in violation of the Nazarite vow, and kind of flips it down on the ground like he's dropping the mic coming off his ditty. You know, and says, boom, I just killed a a thousand men, and it was all about me. And so we see in Samson this spiritual selfishness and self-centeredness that ends chapter 15. That's where we left him off in chapter 15. And he is said to enter, he, he has this miraculous experience with God at the end of chapter 15 where he's so thirsty from his battle with the jawbone against the the Philistines, and he finally cries out to God, and God splits a rock, and he drinks from it, but he then kind of takes credit for the whole experience, and we leave him selfish. We leave him with a sense that we're disappointed in Samson and and his self-centeredness, and that's where we come to this verse at the end of chapter 15 that says, so he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So there's a 20-year period of time between the end of chapter 15 and what we're about to go into. And the question is, what happens in that interim 20-year period? What, what happens to the self-centeredness of this believer? Has he decided that he's going to stop playing around with his 
calling? Has he decided it's time to get serious about walking with God? We don't know, but there's been 20 years where he's, he's been a ruler over Israel, but he still has not demonstrated a fulfillment of the call. To, to, and again, the call in his life was to be a rescuer of Israel, to lead them out of bondage from the Philistines, to get them out from underneath the slavery of the idolatry that they were being exposed to as being controlled by the Philistines. And so we enter into this new chapter, and we ask with the question, Samson, how have you... How have you progressed in the, in the life of a, a believer in 20 years? And here's what we see in chapter 16, verse 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. And immediately we just want to say, what? Did Samson, did you not learn anything from your past? Have you not progressed at all in the last 20 years? I mean, didn't we kind of leave you last in the last chapter of your life saying you can't be a Lone Ranger believer, and here you are again, all alone. Where, where's your fellowship with other believers? You know, you're, you're a Lone Ranger believer, and you're in trouble. And why in the world would you go down to Gaza? That's the capital of the Philistines. I mean, that's the worst place you would go. And why in the world would you go to a prostitute and just walk away from this call on your life? And we come to this place where we just want to judge Samson and say, Samson, why? We need to stop. I think the Bible is saying to us tonight, don't judge him without judging our own hearts. And let's admit that we could be like this and we have this in us. That's the takeaway. That's the first spiritual truth tonight. That number one, on your hopefully you have a handout. Number one, it's older is not a guarantee to be wiser, and we don't outlive temptations. First Corinthians chapter ten and verse twelve says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So I just want to encourage you and remind you tonight, just because we're all getting older, that's not a guarantee that we're getting wiser and that we're getting stronger necessarily in the Lord. You've got to be intentional about it. And you've got to feed your soul, your spirit. You've got to feed your spiritual appetite. Because if you don't, you could end up getting into a situation in the future that you might say tonight, there's no possible way I'd ever do that. And that ought, to, that ought to be a little bit scary to us. It ought to be a little bit scary that it, it could just be a decision in one uh, night that could have the kind of impact that would destroy your family. And so, you know, one of the first and most blatant takeaways from this is that we got, no matter how, no matter how many times we come to church on Sunday night, and I'm so thankful y'all come because you're the Sunday night crowd. You know, you're the, the fellowship of the burning hearts. And I'm thankful for you. But, you know, I'm in, I've always been a Sunday night crowd attender, and it scares me to think that I could, you know, make a decision that would be destructive on my own life, my ministry, and my family. And so I want to have and, and, and seek God's power every single day and be in, in humility in need of God. And so, you know, we should cherish the presence of God in our life. We should be able to say, 
the greatest loss in my life would be a, a close presence with God. And one of the points of this text is that Samson, he does not cherish the presence of God in his life, and he does not cherish his walk with God. And we see this in verses 2 through 4. Verse 2 says, when it was about, when it was told to the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here. They surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, Let us wait until the morning light, then we will kill him. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts and pulled them up with the, with the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. After this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. What happens here is that Samson, he escapes captivity. And if you notice, if there's a difference here, and again, it's easier for us that have been in, walking through this book together, but in the stories prior to this in Samson's life, it always says, then the Holy Spirit came upon him. And that's, um, that's absent in this example. And what the narrator is beginning to show us is that Samson is a man who is taking the presence of God in his life for granted. He is not concerned about losing God's presence in his life, and he is allowing himself to become prideful that no matter what, he's going to be able to beat the enemy. He's basically saying, I can, I, I can get into sin, I can be with a prostitute, and I can still beat the enemy. And he takes this city bars and this city gates, which were massive, like telephone pole-sized bars and gates, and wraps it all up together, pulls it up out of the ground, which, you know, just, it's like pulling telephone poles out of the ground. Rolls a couple of them together, throws them on his shoulder, and proceeds to walk 40 miles with them up a mountain, in places of on top of a mountain. And the reason he took the city gates was because in the, in the biblical days, the city gates represented a city. That was the place where business was conducted. And you've probably seen in other texts in the Bible where the elders or the important people in a city would meet at the city gates, and they would conduct their business and do contracts there. And so the gates were not only protective of the city and had a protective physical barrier, but they also represented metaphorically the, the, the city and who was in charge of the city. He essentially was saying, I have defeated this city by escaping right in your presence, right out the front gate, taking your city gates with me on my shoulders. And look what I've done. And at the end, he's able to plop them down on top of the mountain and basically say, I win. And if you notice, again, there's no reference to Yahweh here. There's no energizing of Him supernaturally. There's no prayer. And that's by the narrator's purpose, with intentionality. That what's happening in Samson's life is that he's beginning to get to a place in his life where he's not afraid of being in temptations and sin because he really doesn't think that he can ever be defeated. You know, he's experienced a whole lot of victories now in his life, and he's essentially becoming self-confident. 
You know, when a, when a Christian begins to say things like, I can do this, I've got this, um, and that what they mean is, I, I know I'm self-confident, not like I have this in God's power or I can do this through the power of God, but when they're starting to take sort of an inward self-confidence, that's, that's dangerous territory that we're moving into. And so that's the attitude that he has in this event and success really is emboldening him and the, the, the pulling the bars out of the ground and carrying them leads him to realize, hey, I sinned with a prostitute and look at my strength. And that leads us to, to right into verse 4 where it says, after all that it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And of course she's the famous... Delilah of the Bible that everybody has ever heard about when they know Bible stories, but her name actually means darkness or night. And it's interesting because Delilah, she represents all that is evil. She represents all that is sinful. She represents all that is darkness. And the narrator sets us up for this uh, in the opening part of the, in, where he always already talks about night and night in the, the verses that we read. We've seen this uh, over and over where everything is being done at night. And there's, he's again going into the valley of Sorek, again on a trajectory downward in his life, geographically and spiritually. And Samson is in love with sin. It says he loved Delilah. That's the first woman in his life that he's actually loved, the Bible says. And look at verse 5. It says, The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. Then, then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That That, that verse is... One verse of Scripture that explains to you what sin does in your life. It entices you. It sees where your great strength lies. It tries to overpower you. It binds you until you're afflicted. And the power of sin is, is, is in, summarized in Delilah's life. And we were introduced to her as, again, this woman of the night. And over and over, we're seeing that this is taking place, as I said, at night. Verse 6, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh cords that have been dried, then I'll, then I'll become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up, brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried. She bound him with them. Now she had men lying in wait in an inn and in a room, and she said to them, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of tow snaps when it touches fire, so his strength was not discovered. And Delilah is offered this huge sum of money. And she begins to ask him this question that really, I mean, it's almost hard for us to imagine. I mean, she says to him, so, Samson, let me just ask you a question. Uh, let's just say, hypothetically, if somebody wanted to capture you and, you know, make you a slave to the Philistines and completely afflict you, 
How in the world would that be possible given how strong you are? It just makes you wonder, what was Samson thinking? And what Samson was, uh, what he does here is he says, no matter what, I can get myself out of this because I've always been able to in the past. What he's not understanding is the, the second biblical truth that's on your handout, number two, that darkness loved, it results in relentless pursuit of your heart. See, he's playing around with her, and she is relentlessly, sin is relentlessly pursuing your heart, and it's not to be played with. And we know he's playing because he says, you know, I, I have a weakness, and it has to do something with fresh songs, which means something that's a string made from an animal that's been recently killed. In other words, he's saying something to do with something that I'm not supposed to touch something dead. Playing around with his Nazarite vow. And he's hinting at some kind of connection to God because he uses the, 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 the number seven, which for the Israelis was always the number of, symbolic of God. And he basically says, if, if you were to do this and then I couldn't be captured. And he bind, he's bound in his, in his uh, sleep. And when he is able to wake up, he just busts out of them no problem. And so at that point, you really ought to think, it, uh, and this is the scary part, how you know, we do in our lives, again, and putting ourselves into the place of where we can get to if we're not humble and seeking God. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't most of us think, that we, it's time to leave. And it's time to, to say, you know, okay, you know, fool me once, but not, not again. And instead of that, I mean, he goes into this dialogue with her, and I can kind of summarize it for you. She's like, well, you deceived me. And he said, well, I did deceive you, but really what the key is, is new ropes. And so the whole process starts again. She, he falls asleep. She binds him. Samson, the men are out there. He wakes up, what, huh, what? He wakes up, boom, bust out of the robes. And she's like, but you deceived me a second time. And, this, and, and so now again, the question is, why is he still playing around with her? And then look at verse 13. It says, then Delilah said to Samson, up to now you've deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how. You may be bound. And he said to her, if you, were to, if you were to weave the seven locks of hair, of my hair, with the web and fasten it with a pen, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Whoa. Now he's used the H word. Now he's like playing around with the real heart of the matter here where he's now saying... The only thing left in the Nazarite Valley he hasn't ever done is cut off his seven locks of hair. And he's playing around, coming closer and closer, and just riddling, a riddle. His whole life is about playing spiritually. Man, that really speaks to me. You know, is it time to get serious about our spiritual lives yet? Is it time to get serious about the presence of God in our lives yet? Is it time to get serious about the giftedness that God has put on our lives and the power that He enables us in the Holy Spirit to do His will? Samson is playing with this. And, he, and the question is why. And the answer is because he doesn't think he'll ever 
lose his power. Because in the, in the end, as far as he's concerned, the power is now in himself. I've got this is his mantra. Verse 14, so while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into the web, and she fastened it with a pen and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pen of the loom and the web. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when, you, when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came about when she pressed him daily, daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. Now, if you weren't here the night we preached on the wedding, that might not resonate with you. But if you were here that night when he went through the wedding, what you would remember was his original bride from Timnah who wanted to get that first riddle out of him she pressed him throughout the course of that seven-day wedding, and the Bible says she annoyed him and nagged him to death. In other words, been there, done that, did not get the T-shirt. Not the one you're supposed to get that says, go to the house, because that's the one he should have gotten. And instead, we're, again, we're saying, Samson, have you not seen this before, where, where an unbeliever, an ungodly woman, and it could be a man, ladies, in your life, is nagging you to do something, and you simply give in to it out of getting annoyed to death. And, it's, it, and it speaks to the, the need for parents and grandparents to be praying for their their children to have godly and Christian girlfriends and boyfriends and spouses and, and praying for your children to grow up, to be seeking the right person to marry and to be with. And, she, and it's simply really a, a huge cry for the church that we've got to impress upon our youth and children to seek godly believers and, and their spouses. And so again, Samson's bride has already gone you know, down this, but he gives in once again. And then we have this fatal verse in 17. And it says, so he told her all that was in his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak. And be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines and saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. Again from our past We've learned that the narrator is saying something important in verse 18 when he says Delilah saw all that was in his heart because throughout the course of Samson's life, he has been a man who has been guided by his sight. His whole life has been a walk 
Not by faith, but by sight. I went to Timna and I saw an unbelieving woman. He told his dad. I saw her and she looks right, the Bible says in the literal Hebrew. She looks right in my eyes. Do you remember that? I saw her and she looks right in my eyes. And that is a metaphor, that is a symbol of what Israel is really doing in the book of Judges. The entire book of Judges is a theme that God is not their king. They are not listening to God's voice. They are not trusting and obeying God's word. And that everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Man, that, that right there is a verse that you need to hang out on this week. That's America in 2020. So the irony of the narrator, by intention, by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit guiding the mind of the narrator, is that what he's saying is, Delilah saw that was in his heart, and it was a man, and the man whose eyes had been his guide now have become the, the ironic way that his enemy is able to see into his heart. And the truth is um, that she now knows that once she cuts the hair off, his strength is gone. And Delilah passes off the scene. And it, to me, when I was a young person, I remember somebody telling me this story. There's, there's, she gets her money, and we never hear another word about Delilah again in the Bible. And that, and that speaks, young people, to seeking to date godly people that will not leave you and, never, and pass away and never to be heard of again. And so the Bible continues in verse 19 saying, She made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him and his strength left him. She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as... At other times and shake myself free, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. And I tell you, it's just the simple truth, it's easy to remember. Maybe a little bit cheesy, but it's profound too. And it's the third truth that sin is kind to you at first, but then sin will bind you until you're blind and send you to a life of grinding. And he was grinding the very grain that he had um, rose up and destroyed by those foxes. And it was they put him on that and said, you remember the time you destroyed our wheat fields? You remember the time that you said you win over Dagon, the, the god of wheat? Look who's winning now. And they embarrassed him. They kept him alive on purpose in order that they could make a statement about their god over and against the god of the Bible. He destroyed his witness. And, and, and worst yet, lost that sense of fellowship with God, that sense of closeness to God. And I think that it's pretty simple to see that we're disappointed in Samson. 
I mean, we had such great hopes in him. He, he was our superman. He was the best that we had to offer in the human race. And we know we need a better Samson. We need a truer and better Samson in our life. See, he stormed the city gates of Gaza, and he did that for his own glory. Not asking God to get the glory in his life. Not calling on God, but what he said was, I win. I take the city for by my strength. What we need is, a, is we need a man who's also fully God, who comes to honor God the Father and live for Him, who takes upon Himself the city gates of Jerusalem and carries them up a cross called Calvary and places them in the ground and says, it's finished for the glory of God and for the love of people that need sins forgiven in their life. Christ said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it because I've stormed the gates of hell at Calvary's cross. We need a Savior who was unlike Samson, who is, is willing, to, knowing that somebody is going to get silver for putting him up and, and for um, taking him up. And when Judas came in, Jesus knew exactly who Judas was and what Judas was doing. He washed Judas' feet. Where Samson was bound and became weak in a sleepy state of sin, Christ, he allowed himself to be bound by those men. And when Peter tried to take a sword out, he said, Peter, put your sword away. This is the cup the Father has given me to drink. He was bound by his sinlessness, not because of his sin. He is the truer and better Samson, and we praise God for him tonight. We got the Samson that we needed in the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that Samson awoke, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And the closing question I want to ask you is, what if that was our greatest fear in life? What if our greatest fear in life was the greatest, what if the greatest loss that we could possibly have would be the loss of fellowship, the loss of the, what is the presence of God? And we know we don't lose our salvation, but we can certainly lose that intimacy with God. We can certainly get to a place in our life where we don't sense the presence of God in our life. And that ought to be our greatest fear because it would be our greatest loss. And what I take away from this story is I want to be, I want to be guarding my heart day by day, month by month, year by year, not to go down these same mistakes like Samson made. And I, I want to have an attitude that says my greatest loss imaginable would be the loss of a close and intimate relationship with God through Christ and I don't want to lose that closeness with God. God will always forgive our sins. We know that. When we confess them, we're cleansed of all unrighteousness. And God loves us no matter what we do. But make no mistake, when we sin, it does drive a wedge between us and our relationship with God. And we don't want to lose that presence. And I want the fear of that loss to be greater than the temptation of sin. So I'm going to ask us to bow and pray tonight. I don't know if uh, God has spoken to you directly about a part of this, but just in some time of quiet reflection in your life, and I'm going to ask if we could just play some quiet music for a minute and remind you that there is one more verse in our text, and you just listen to this. It said, However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Verse 22, the next verse says, However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. 
What this means is grace is always growing back in your life. And so if you're here tonight and you said, hey, I've messed up, I've got sin in my life, tonight is the night to realize that grace is growing back in your life. And if you're here tonight and you've never become a follower of Christ, you never actually have been born again, grace is growing in your life tonight. Just like when Samson's hair began to grow back, God, his, his grace was new and His mercy was new every day. Today, tonight, is the night of salvation for anyone here tonight who is lost. You simply come to Christ. You can come forward and pray with me. Where you're seated, you can pray in your heart and just cry out and say, God, I need Jesus to save me. I give my life to Him as my Lord, and you'll be saved. And maybe tonight you just want to pray and say, God, I think sometimes I have a tendency to get a little bit too self-confident. Maybe I've got a t-shirt, you know, it says, been there, done that, and it's ministry in the church. And maybe what you need tonight is just to say, God, I just want to really lean into you for the next season of my life. Not become overly confident, not become complacent with your presence. And maybe tonight you just want to pray, God, I need to have a sense where the greatest loss I would experience was, where, was with the closeness I have with you tonight. I mean, y'all are the Sunday night crowd. I know that some of you love the Lord deeply. What if, we just, what if tonight we said the greatest loss would be our closeness to Christ? So it's unacceptable for us to lose that because we love God so much. So keep us, Lord, tonight in your presence. Bless us, Lord, to be a blessing to others, to fulfill the call that you put on our life until you call us home. We hope this message will help you in your spiritual walk and growth. For more about Ridgecrest, please visit us on the web at www.rbc-tuscaloosa.com. Have a great day. And God bless.